It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey LaBounty and Nick Wiggins. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to a fantastic Friday edition of The Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LaBounty along with Nick Wiggins. Hope you all had a great work week. Sometimes it was a little bit short. Here because of not only the MLK holiday, but also of the wintry weather. We're going to get a couple of more days of that Arctic blast here this evening and tomorrow. As looking to warm back up next week to some 70 degrees. But as we will continue to try to thaw out over the next couple of days. We want to thank everybody for having us tuned and locked in here to the final drive. Of course, you can download the free Sound of Mobile app to any Android or Apple device that you may have. We always encourage you to correspond with us here in the app and love to hear from you as well. You can give us a call at 251-694-1055. And today, it's a busy, fantastic Friday show for everyone to enjoy. Jake Crane, Crane & Company, will be talking about not only the college football transfer portal, but what he thinks about the state of these coaching changes that have been going on here as of late. Jason Aponte, Niners Nation, will be giving us a preview of the 49ers game this weekend. Ryan Talbot will preview the Buffalo Bills. He writes for New York Upstate. Steve Norman, breaking news today, Baker High School's football coach. He has officially stepped down as Baker's head football coach. We'll catch up with him at 5 o'clock to find out why. And the nation's longest college basketball winning streak. Where do you think that resides, Nick Wiggins? Um, so I'm going to guess like a, a women's team. I feel like they always have one team that hasn't lost a game in like three years. Well, on the men's side, it's actually right here in Birmingham, Alabama. Bucky McMillan, the head mm. basketball coach at Sanford, has won 16 consecutive games. Has his team at 16-2 and two as they prepare for Mercer tomorrow. We'll catch up with Bucky McMillan. A little Bucky ball. He's the former high school basketball coach at Mountain Brook High School. Won multiple high school titles there. So we'll have you covered from everything from college football to NFL football to high school football to college basketball. We'll have you covered here on the final drive. And Nick Wiggins, you and I and the one and only Lee Shervanian had an opportunity earlier this morning to go and hear from South Alabama's new head football coach, Major Applewhite, in his introductory press conference there along with his wife and daughter and son and it was great to see President Bonner and Dr. Erdman bring him to the forefront of being the fourth head coach in the history of South Alabama's program. What were your thoughts about Coach Applewhite's introductory press conference today? Uh, I mean I think he checked all the boxes right. I 
it's not like he he would have really had to have fumbled it to fumble it. I mean, everyone seemed really excited. He could have said anything, and I think people would have all cheered, right? It seemed to have been a very uh, positive and good mood group. You know, this wasn't just media either. This was open to the public. So after his press conference during the, hey, you got 30 minutes to do one-on-one interviews, it, it more so became, hey, greet the fans and take pictures with everyone's kids, which which I think was actually kind of good. It, he, he really emphasized um, our city, you know, selling what we have, what the Jags have, and, uh, you know, why why not South Alabama, right? Why not Mobile? He wants to win Sunbelt Conference Championships. He kept saying that emphatically. Um, I thought it was good. I thought it was good. You asked a good question, um, and we can play that here if you want. Sure, absolutely. All right, let's see here. The boundary with WNSP 105.5. Wanted to talk to you about the advantages of already being here, knowing the personnel, knowing the president, the athletic director, the players that are currently on your roster. Talk to us about that and the advantages moving forward, bringing in others that already are related to the kids that are going to be on your roster. That's a great question. Um, The last head job that I had, there was a staff that was leaving and everybody in the building was leaving with them. Uh, This staff, there's one person leaving and there's a lot of people back. That's a huge advantage. Um, There's a lot of generational intelligence in that building in terms of people knowing how we do things, knowing players, so it's not a total brand new uh, makeover. So that's that's great for us as, as, as a staff to be able to identify what we need and have people that can tell the new bodies that are coming in, this is kind of the way we've done things, this is this about this young player, this is where he is in his development, and those type of things. So it's a tremendous advantage. It's a tremendous advantage because I've been in those situations where you're having to explain to people, all right, this is where the president's office is. Um, you know, this is where the rec center is. This is where our players live in the dorm. You know, you're not doing all that. You're, you're able to pick up and go from where you're at. Uh, so it's, 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 you're already ahead in the race. So a lot of those things by hiring you know, late in January and this thing kind of happening late in the coaching cycle, uh, it's really actually an advantage from the standpoint of your lease where at least you're not making a total wholesale change where you got a brand new crew coming in here. And when do we start spring practice and everything gets delayed and the stuff starts getting pushed back. So. Uh, it's a tremendous advantage for our staff and for our players to continue on with what they're doing. A little quiet on the audio clip there, but our guys at Jag Nation Radio uh, were kind enough to record your question that you asked. But, I mean, I thought it was a good question because, you know, that that is an advantage, right? You're not overhauling a new staff. You know, he said everyone knows where everything is on campus. We They know where the players go, where they hang out, what they're up to. They know their names already. They know what their training regimen is. Oh, how far is this guy, right, you know, along his training program or, you know, what what's his potential look like? What kind of player is this guy? You you know that already, uh, you know, offensively. And I saw that Craig Stevenson confirmed today that um, Ezel is going to have a bigger role in the offense. You know, he was formerly a wide receiver for Nick Saban on that Alabama team. He also – I th- we went over this a few weeks ago, I think, <laughs> but he – was the guy that did the Nick Saban impression in the locker room. Dead on, spot on. But I think it's exciting, man. I know, like, he's not born and bred in Mobile, right? But he is from this area enough that he he feels about as close to a Mobile guy as you could get, and, you know, and be happy with the um, resume and prestige uh, of a coach that he brings. So I, I, I'm going to give it, you know, we, we throw out all these A – 
A plus, A minus hires. I'm going to give the press conference an A. Yeah, I, I thought he did an outstanding job. And, you know, one of the things he mentioned as well is the fact that he has to hit the ground running as far as filling his staff now. And according to Matt Zenitz, he's hiring as a running backs coach, ex-Michigan State running backs coach, Ephraim Reed to come in and feel that running backs coach coming from Michigan State. So continuing to fill it out as this second signing day is quickly upon us. But anytime you're in the building and in this city for three years and not starting from scratch, not starting from square one yourself as the head coach and your family not really knowing what's going on and they're, they're, they become acclimated. And I had an opportunity as well after the press conference to speak to Coach Applewhite and ask him about being here for three years and what Mobile, Alabama means to him because I know what it means to myself. I know what it means to you, Nick Wiggins. When you're vested in the 251, when you're vested in this is our city, yes, you grow up probably being an Alabama, an Auburn fan, but for this younger generation, South Alabama's football program is only 12 years old from a Division One state playing standpoint. So those that are growing up, you have a reason here in your city to lean on pulling for the South Alabama football program and other athletic programs here, especially football being the cash cow that it is. But Coach Applewhite responding to my question in regards to being part of the Port City. Coach, what have you learned about Mobile, Alabama in your time here? I know you've been at Houston, you've been at Texas, you've been at Alabama. Well, what makes Mobile, Alabama special? It's, uh, you know, the, the town, it, it is a big town, you know. It is a big town. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of recogn you know, recognition from the standpoint that everybody seems to know everybody. Um, so I, I love the fact that there's a, you know, a large populace. There's great football in this town. Uh, you know, I was telling uh, Dr. Urban and, and President Bonner that it's, it's not very complicated. It's, it's faith, family, and football in this part of the country. You know, living in Houston, living in Baton Rouge, uh, you know, taking trips to see my grandmother during the summers in Hattiesburg. I mean, I went to the Senior Bowl in 1987 to see Cornelius Bennett play his last game. So I, I know all about us over there at Lab People's freezing my tail off. So I know it gets cold and wet, too, in the month of January and February. But uh, I love the town. It's, it's a Gulf Coast town. I mean, you're into football, you're into, uh, you know, fishing. It's 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 just a typical I-10, you know, Baton Rouge, Lafayette, Mobile, New Orleans. It's got that feel. The people are different. They're passionate down here for football. And and I want to, you know, I've coached in a lot of different places, but I want to coach somewhere where it is extremely important to win football games, and people are like-minded in that. Were you a Cornelius Bennett guy? Right there, hearing from Coach Applewhite in regards to learning. Look, I had no clue that he attended the Senior Bowl back at Lad People's Stadium. So I learned something today in regards to Coach Applewhite as well, Be not knowing, you know, that he had been in Mobile prior to his stops, not only at Texas, but growing up, Coach Applewhite, a young coach that's going to do a phenomenal job. And, again, we encourage you to chime in on the app. And, yes, there is huge Alabama news, huge Auburn news as always. But yeah, locally here – for it. Corey, things are all things are all sunshine and rainbows, I guess, here in Mobile, Alabama. But there's another football program in this state that I'm guessing people are uh, wanting to hear some some pretty big news. Uh, 
it's no, it's no different, right? It's n- it's no different type of news. It's the same news that we've been seeing uh, through the past week. But I guess when it when it is this position uh, on your football team that maybe it does make a little bit bigger waves. Even though this guy has never, you know, suited up for these uh, for the Crimson Tide, but. Julian saying, I, I kind of predicted it a little bit. I'm not going to really call my shot like that. But I was saying, you know, bringing in that four-star quarterback, what are you really doing, Julian saying? And it, it was announced that he is going to enter the transfer portal. And this is – he's not going to decommit because he's already going to be what? on cam- He's on campus He's already now, right? early enrolling. So my, yeah. my man was there a few he's days. Two weeks, he's two weeks <laughs> in the classes already. a few days. And he said, you know what? I, I'm going to go ahead and head out. So – and you and you told me you said this is Bryce Young 2.0, right? So he this is. has got to sting a little. He bit. is the number one rated quarterback in 2024's class, and you look at him playing on the elite seven-on-seven quarterback circuit. And Georgia had a quarterback that they lost out on as well. But I, I, I say that to say that you know you come and it's obvious that when you come into a program that you're you have two choices either you're committing to the institution and the university or you're committing to a coach and with this max mass exodus Amari Nye Black where does he find himself at well with his former offensive teammate Isaiah Bond at Texas so you you know you don't you don't really Alphonse Taylor talked about it this morning with Mark and Michael Bronner in regards to, you know, Alabama being one game away from playing for a national championship. You look at not only that, you're playing in a situation here to where you don't blame these young men for wanting to leave. But by all means, it's obvious you're not even giving your head coach an opportunity, your new head coach, an opportunity to get to know him, get to know his system and, Look, nothing wrong with Austin Mack. Six foot six, four star transfer portal prospect is what he was ranked. You you like the he still has four years of eligibility. Of course, Julian saying that five star quarterback, top ranked quarterback in the twenty four class, and you lo- you start to lose Roy Dale Williams, one of your critical or key running backs, and you look at. Well, Turn around, Amari Nye Black, and then Julian Sayin, and you have people that have not even taken a snap yet right. at this Alabama. Is, this is, I know we could, we're, you know, it's easy to criticize the kids, right? Why are you leaving? This isn't even a bad spot, but they are leaving, and that's the reality that all these Alabama players are jumping ship, and that is not a good look for Alabama. It's a look they haven't really experienced, you know, in the past two decades. Uh, for the most part, but I mean, you got to think of these young recruits, right? Imagine I'm a 17-year-old kid, 16-year-old kid. I'm on Twitter. I'm seeing every notification that pops up. Alabama guy decommits. Alabama guy transfers. Former five-star transfer. Julian said, like, so I don't know what Alabama's recruiting class ranking is going to be, you know, for Kalen DeBoer's first official class, but as it looks right now, man, I just think there's a little bit of bad juju for some reason, warranted or not. And I don't think it is because I agree, right? You just were in the final four. 
You got the coach that was in the finals. And then all these players are leaving to go to the team that he beat, right? Washington beat mm-hmm. Texas, remember that? But even though all that maybe, you know, we, we know the logic behind it all, the players are still leaving and it's still a bad look, and I don't see it changing anytime soon. Well, unless the, you start winning, winning cures all, right? Auburn yesterday named their official 8A time. And I said it yesterday. I'm going to continue to say it. You have a chance to have Ryan Williams on campus on a visit to meet the new coaching staff, to meet with the new coaches. Of course, Ryan already familiar with Kane Womack. But with that being said, if you're able to secure that cornerstone, and if you are able to get him, the most powerful recruiting tool that any coach has, especially a brand-new head coach, especially at the University of Alabama, is your other five- and four-star recruits. And if Ryan Williams says, look, Alabama's my place. I want to I be part of what they have going on, part of this new tradition, part of this standard that has been set, then – by all means, go ahead and let Ryan Williams be Julio Jones 2.0 because, like I said, you come to an institution for a coach or you come to school for an education and to be there the way that Booker. You want those guys who want to be there. If they don't want to be there, so be it. You know, I wish them the best at any school, any transfer portal guy. Or gal, wished him the best because they had a reason for doing it. We have a caller on the line here on the final drive. Who are we speaking with? Hey, Corey. Hey, man, I think you're a little mistaken. The most important tool you could have as a coach in college football now is money. So at the end of the day, what's happening is it doesn't matter if these kids want to stay there. Okay, okay. do we remember the um, – the guy that used to, that his mom wanted him to go to Arkansas or LSU. It's a safety. Man, I can't remember his name. Did you see the way she acted? Landon Collins. Landon Collins. Yeah, Landon Collins. Okay, so these parents. What has happened is these parents have got so soaked up in this money, and I hate to say this, parents aren't what they used to be. When I was growing up. These parents are living off the coattails of their kids and giving their kids bad advice. Look at Henry Ruggs. Why is he why is he in the situation he is? He continued to surround himself himself with people who did not care about him. Now how many of you think of those people and Henry Ruggs actually visits him in jail now? How do you think how many people you think hang out with Michael Vick now after losing all that money? That's what's going on. It's funny. Because you can't tell me Sarkeesian or Kirby or any of these better recruiters. It's all about money. It's well, about Patrick, money and what these parents are telling their kids to do because half of them are paying their parents' bills for them. I agree with you in regards to it being money, but it is not – they weren't paying the type of money that any other institution was, Bama, that is. They weren't – they came to play for the GOAT. They were sacrificing money and other and better, more lucrative monetary deals to play Probably for the much, GOAT. Though. Not that much. At the end of the day, to me, if you're able to land a cornerstone recruit, a cornerstone recruit such as Ryan Williams, other recruits will follow, regardless of the amount. They'll sacrifice right. that but other see, and then in ten the, to in twenty thousand dollars. You lose the five star recruit 
the recruits and players follow. Because one guy jumped ship, they all started going. They it, came to play for Nick Saban. It's a hive mind thing. Man. They came to play for Nick Saban and understood it's obvious and they came. And they're they're vocal about that, coming right. to play for Nick Saban. See, but that's the difference that Patrick's talking about, the mindset of what it was 20 and 30 years ago, coming to play for an institution and a school versus coming to play for a coach. It's a totally different ball game. But I mean, today. institutions can fall off. I think Alabama's the only one that has been as consistent as it has been for the entire. Oh, they fell off years. now. They fell not, off not prior in, to not in Nick Saban's okay. tenure. Not, I mean, no coach is out there seventeen years. Nick Saban is, you know, one of one. Most coaches have gone through, you know, four, three, four, five jobs in that time frame. Uh, so, ah. Uh, I, I, I just don't know where Alabama's going to go from here, man. I don't think y'all are getting Ryan Williams. I'm writing that off. And I think if you do get Ryan Williams somehow miraculously, who's to say that he won't be gone, you know, in a few months? Who's to say anyone won't just leave, right? Well, you have that 30-day window. And who's to say Julian saying won't come back? Because unlike Isaiah Bond, we know where he's enrolled in, Texas. We know where Amari Nyblack is going. We know where Roydale Williams is going. We know where Kite is going to Auburn, being one of the first Alabama to Auburn transfers. So certain guys, we already know where they're landing. Some of them just have their name still in the portal. But you would like the portal opens back up after spring. So you could have waited to go through the spring, a, a la Peyton Thorne. He didn't join Auburn Tigers roster until after the spring game. Right. So you still have an opportunity to feel that out and not lose any eligibility there when you do it so. It doesn't seem like anyone's doing that, though. I, I, I wouldn't say I mean, that I'm sure not some are, anyone. Right? Some Again, are. you've lost close to 25 guys, and some were prior to Nick Saban even leaving, and you had your fair share. It's just when you're starting to lose four- and five-star recruits, it becomes, and it's at Alabama, it becomes more publicized. So, you know, when we come back from the gr break, We'll hear from Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders chimed in not only about the portal, the cost of the portal. He also chimed in about Nick Saban as well. But we'll hear from Jake Crane first on the other side of this break and get his thought process not only about the transfer portal, but about one taking over the offensive coordinator reigns at Ohio State. It's a very familiar name to Alabama and Patriots fans, we'll talk to Jake Crane about who's going to be running Ohio State's defense. What's the state of the Crimson Tide? Any need for panic there? We'll talk to him next here on the final drive. Hey, this is Julian Zeus McClurkin with the world famous Harlem Globetrotters, and my favorite station is WNSP Sports Radio 105.5 FM. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LaBounty, along with Nick Wiggins, joining you on this fantastic Friday afternoon. And we always love to welcome in our guy, Jake J-Boy Crane. And Jake, there's a lot of Alabama fans, not only here locally, but really nationally. Man, we're, we're having to walk them off the ledge, my brother. They feel like the... 
the world is coming to an end with what they're calling the mass exodus of whether it's Julian Sayin today or Amari Nyblack or Isaiah Bond. They're, they're just they're really going bonkers, man, about this transfer portal. And I'm just trying to tell them it, it's okay. You know, you, you have a parachute. You're going to be just fine. Yeah, look, the answer is always somewhere in the middle, right? Uh, there's This is no reason to just totally panic, and, and there's no reason to sit here and act like nothing bad has happened. It's part of the deal now in college football, and it just so happens that the coach you just had retire was the greatest college football coach of all time. And you got to face the fact that not only nowadays, but the past couple of years, there's never been a better time to commit to a coach and not a place with the freedom of the transfer portal. Uh, it's just smart. And when the guy's Nick Saban, you're going to as, as much tradition as Alabama has, and they have as much tradition as anybody. But Let's just be honest that those guys went to Alabama to play for Nick Saban, just like those out-of-state, just college attendees from New Jersey and, and all over the country went to Alabama because of the scene that Nick Saban had created uh, with the football team. And it's just part of it. it. It shows a little bit of mortality. But, you know, you, you hired a, a football coach in Kalen DeBoer that knows how to win. We're not going to know how he does in the SEC until we see it, but that'd be the same way with, with anybody regardless. So, again, I, I mean, it's um, – I know Alabama isn't used to being in this spot, but just because you're in this spot doesn't mean you're going to stay in the spot. Now, it, it does show a little bit of weakness and something you're not used to, but, but that was always going to happen. Yeah, it definitely is something that's always going to happen. And when you look at the other news, really, in college football – Outside of the transfer portal, it comes from a very winning program, Ohio State, Ryan Day. Look, it's hard to be the head coach and the play caller to to do both of those duties. And you can ask Q Freeze that especially. But Bill O'Brien expected to be hired at Ohio State to run their offense. What do you think about that hire for Coach Day and the Buckeyes? Well, you know, this one honestly kind of surprised me, Corey. I, I mean, you know, I would think, and, and I think this is why Hugh Freeze is taking over play calling now, is is that if you're going to go down, and as crazy as it sounds for Ryan Day to, quote-unquote, go down or get fired after the amount of games he's won, I think he's top five in the country over the past three years or something like that, you have to beat Michigan at some point. I mean, it's just, just like Auburn and Alabama. You know, what got Mike Shula run out of town? Not that Alabama's going five and seven every year, but Auburn was beating them every season. Got him run out of town eventually. Eventually enough is enough when you're part of one of the greatest rivalries in sports. But um, as, as far as, as Ryan Day bringing in Bill O'Brien, I'm interested to see how that Bill O'Brien offense, and I know he can be malleable. We saw him run a lot of RPO stuff with Bryce Young in Alabama. With Will Howard, you know, as the quarterback there, who, who's a guy who really is, is a dual-threat guy, but he has to improve a lot as a passer if he's going to run a pro-style offense. So I, I don't know. It surprised me because a lot of guys, if they're going to go down, they're going to go down calling the plays. Not only that, you talked about calling the plays. And on paper, you see Derek Nix be named offensive coordinator and running backs coach at Auburn. And let's talk about Hugh Freeze and him continuing to fill his staff and the way that Auburn's going to be going next year with Peyton Thorne and the recruitment of our very home local Ryan Williams trying to get what Cam Coleman calls the fifth infinity stone there that will complete 
the wide receiver core. But, I mean, Coach Nix comes in, a great recruiter, understands the SEC, great direction for the Auburn Tiger faithful for sure. No, I, look, I thought it was a really good hire. Uh, Derek Nix is a guy that's, that's very well-respected, a really good recruiter. And, and, again, I think sometimes there is one guy that calls the plays. But play calling, if you've ever been on a headset, it's a team effort, right? You, you bounce things off of each other. Guys, uh, you know, say that they like things in certain situations. Hey, we need to do this because of, of A, B, or C. So while there is one final voice that calls the plays, and like you look at Texas and Sark and now Hugh Freeze at Auburn, Derek Nixon is going to be involved in the play calling. But if you're going to call the plays as a head coach, you might as well bring in a quote-unquote offensive coordinator, not only to help game plan and take some of those pressures off, and then obviously help a little bit with the play calling, but you, he better be a bang-up recruiter. You want to add another weapon to the recruiting arsenal, and that's what he did, and, and that's why I think it's a really good hire. We always were talking about the transfer portal today and the way that it's transformed college football. But today, Major Applewhite introduced officially as South Alabama's new head football coach. I know a week ago when we talked to you, I didn't think that Kane Womack, you know, would have gone into the defensive coordinator role at Alabama. If you were to have asked me a week ago, I was like, no, probably not. But when you look at Major Applewhite and the job that Dr. Urban and President Joe Bonner did, finding from within, how big is that for South Alabama? Well, you know, just kind of starting off, it's uh, interesting to see this new kind of path that in my opinion was really started last year as far as group of five head coaches like Sean Lewis who was the head coach at Kent State went to be the offensive coordinator at Colorado with Deion Sanders actually got demoted which I don't think he should have as the play caller last year for the Buffs and he still got named the head coach at San Diego State so Kane Womack going to be with his best friend Kalen uh, DeBoer uh, you know, it, it, that path has shown to yield success, and it is Alabama. So uh, it, it's kind of a different path than, than what we're used to seeing. Guys, typically, once you get that power as a head coach, uh, you want to keep that power and, and do it your way. But, um, again, it's, it's, I think it's one of those once-in-a-lifetime opportunities. But as far as uh, what Dr. Erdman and, and the whole administration did bring in Major Applewhite, he's a guy with really good experience. He's been a head coach before. Nothing's going to surprise him. Uh, he understands where he's at, having been promoted uh, from within, and you keep some continuity and stability. And, and in the ever-changing landscapes of, of the college football realm, being able to have stability and continuity together is worth its weight in gold. Uh, Jake, let me ask you. So, you know, with Nick Saban retiring, do you think that the other teams in the SEC are – kind of clamoring to fill that void that Alabama might be opening up as being, you know, like the team to beat in the SEC. I know Georgia is obviously one of those teams already, but could Texas become that in their very first year in the SEC? Or does Alabama with Kalen DeBoer, even though all these players are leaving, do they have the chance to kind of re-cement themselves as quote-unquote Alabama football and continuing that Alabama standard? Well, you know, in, when you replace the greatest of all time, you, you really only do get one chance to make a first impression, right? And next year, when you look at Alabama going to Wisconsin then having Georgia at home, um, that's, uh, I think, going to be very interesting to see how those, game goes and those games go and then see the reaction. Uh, but, but as far as, as filling the void, I don't think anybody's going to be able to recreate the dominance that we saw uh, with Nick Saban over a long period of time. 
Uh, if anybody can get close, it looks like what Kirby's doing at Georgia. It could. But if you're every other team, not that you think, hey, I'm going to fill that void. We're going to be the new Alabama. Yeah, you hope that. Yeah, you're working toward that. But I think it's just one less, still a headache, but but Nick Saban, the, the overlord, uh, is, is gone now. So it did get a little bit easier. I think we all have to admit that. Hey, yeah, it did for other teams for sure across the country. I I, I kind of use the yeah. analogy of Ding Dong, the witch is dead, the Wizard of Oz with the house falling there on the on the witch and seeing her feet shrivel up. That's well, kind of what, what I said was it was like for every other fan base outside of Alabama. I, I guess this is what Luke Skywalker felt like after he blew up the Death Star and like landed back <laughs> at the Rebellion base. Like I guess that's what. And now you see like it's they're taking more hits in the transfer portal. It's just I don't know. It's uh it's like the ending of the movie. It like they're finding ways to finally hit them. Yeah, without question. And I, I know this too, Jake. You you still continue to look at Jim Harbaugh and you see today with the Raiders getting ready to make Michael Pierce uh, their their head coach. Uh, I, I don't know there, Coach Pierce, you know, to the Raiders or whatever, but when you do look at Coach Harbaugh, it's talked, talked about Belichick going to the Falcons. Do you see Coach Harbaugh, what – franchise do you see him becoming a part of or do you see him wanting to stay at Michigan now that the Death Star has been blown totally up I don't know I mean he's he's losing a lot and there's never a hotter time to get out of town I mean you look at the Chargers right you know I I think that's a destination that that would make sense um who knows it's something something else may open up who knows in the NFL but when, when you look at should you know, Harbaugh go, I, I have a theory on this. And if you have a sibling or, or grew up with like a best friend and, and y'all were like brothers or sisters or whatever, and y'all were very competitive, you know, winning a national championship at Michigan is incredible. And it's an, it's an unreal accomplishment for Jim Harbaugh makes him a legend, but you still lost the Super Bowl to your brother. So every Thanksgiving, every Christmas dinner, heck, every Halloween, when y'all all get together, yeah, what you did was super cool, but John won the Super Bowl. Not only that, he beat you in it. And I just – there's something, like, instinctual about it that I think Harbaugh wants a chance to win a Super Bowl. So not only would he, he tie John Harbaugh in Super Bowls, but he would usurp him because now he would have the college national championship as well. So I don't know. Call it some uh, sibling rivalry. I, I feel like he needs to go. Yeah, and look, I think that it's a – an opportunity there that he's not going to be able to pass up. And we just talked about South Alabama hiring from within. I don't think Michigan would have to make a national search for their next head football coach. I think they could make a little bit of history themselves. Uh, no, I mean, you, <laughs> Sherrod Moore is the best on-the-job training as, as you can humanly possibly get. I mean, he, <laughs> heck, he's coached half their games, like in the past like full season, and not just games like against, you know, Wesleyan or, or Illinois, like Ohio State, like, like big games that they had to win to be able to, to ultimately do what they did. So he understands – you talk about continuity. I talked about that with South Alabama. It's the same thing as you mentioned. So, no, I, I think that would be probably the shortest coaching search in the history of coaching searches. Jake J-Boy Crane, our guest this afternoon on the final drive. And, you know, got got word today as, as it went to national news, Sports Illustrated come, possibly coming to an end, man. I, I, can you ever imagine a day to where 
the SIs. I know growing up as a kid, man, I, I used to love getting into my Sports Illustrated Weekly, love to see the covers that were on there and, and just love to get the information. Sports Illustrated coming to an end. Say it ain't so, Jake. Say it ain't so. Yeah, man. I mean, they made some bad moves though here lately. I'm I, I'm not gonna get into that, but I, I mean, yeah, it's it's an iconic brand, right? It's like like they don't make Twinkies anymore, right? Like, like it's kind of sad like that, and, and you know, I hate it for the people that that work there. That's unfortunate, and it is an end of an era. But I mean, I don't know. I feel like y'all made a couple of real bad decisions that wasn't in y'all's best interest. I'll just leave it at that. No question about that, and always in our best interest to to wrap with you moving forward how quickly again it's football 365 in your household and in mine uh, as well and you you always like man the end of the college football season the end of nfl season august can't get here fast enough once again even xfl and usfl merging here to to kind of wet our appetites here in the spring to get ready for it it's football is better than no football at all for sure Oh, first off, Corey, that segue was so buttery. And, yeah, look, I'd rather have some football than no football. I mean, I, I have the Louis Elastic uh, rule from Remember the Titans. I mean, you, you scream football, I come to run it. And, listen, I know the NFL, to me, it hasn't been the best that it's been in the regular season and the playoffs were, were still kind of, you know, short-lived in, in that moment, and we're going to find out a lot more this weekend. Uh, but but I do enjoy this, this time of year. And we have college basketball getting into conference play. It's amazing what the state of Alabama is doing right now and on the collegiate basketball scene. I think they're both uh, – uh, they're actually combined to 8-0. and But, yeah, I'm, I'm going to enjoy it, man. I feel good about the Bills this weekend, Corey. I'm feeling good about the Bills. Finally, you know, they had to take the goat pass that, that the, the hunchback told them from 300, but they got there. <laughs> I do think that when you look at the state of college football, once again, it, it's, it's – whether you like it or you don't like it, it becomes a daily relevant topic, and especially with the transfer portal going on and with the coaching changes and the dominoes. And right around the corner, we do have spring football as Auburn officially named their 8A game for April 5th. So it'll be here before you know it. And before you know it, it'll be time to tune in to another edition of Crane and & Company. And all our listeners, oh, yeah. they want to be able to do that and listen and take part on your daily show. How can they do that, Jake? Oh, man, look, we uh, we have a good time, and it, it never ends. I mean, who knows with college football? Who, who knows what's going to happen next? Uh, but, yeah, we go live each weekday morning, 6.30 a.m. Uh, to 8 a.m. Central. Uh, you, if you watch your shows, it's uh, Crane & Company on YouTube, C-R-A-I-N-N Company. Uh, we're also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Daily Wire as well. Uh, we take live calls. Uh, we have a live chat, too, that, that we take questions from. And if you can't watch us live, it stays on there the whole time. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, going to be interesting coming down the stretch here, fellas. We're going to have fun with it. Absolutely. Jake, always appreciate your time, my brother, and look forward to talking to you again next Friday to see what's transpired within the week of not only college football, but football in general. Yeah, who knows? We may get to start playing with 12 guys on the field the way it's going. <laughs> Jake Crane, Crane and Company, joining us here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more again about the big-time win for the South Alabama Jaguars men's basketball program over Troy. And Jake mentioned the state of basketball for Alabama and Auburn, undefeated in SEC play. 
Bucky McMillan. He'll be joining us in the 5 o'clock hour, 16-game winning streak, the longest in the country. So look forward to talking to him as well. You're tuned in to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Hey, this is Buckus Blakes from the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters, and you're listening to WNSP in Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LaPounty along with Nick Wiggins joining you, and once again, congratulations to Richie Riley and the South Alabama Jaguars men's basketball program. They moved to 10-8, and 3-3 in Sunbelt Conference play. Big win over the previously undefeated Troy Trojans in conference play. Troy now moves to 5-1 in Sunbelt Conference play, 11-7 overall. A good crowd of 3,000-plus turning out to the Mitchell Center last night to, to get Richie Riley and the guys a big-time needed win over the rival, the Troy Trojans. And want to thank Jake J-Boy Crane for jumping on with us here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. And when we come back here at the 4 o'clock hour, of course, the top of the 4 o'clock hour, Nick, it's that NFL type of year. It's that type of season to where playoffs are upon us. The 49ers are in battle, in action, after having a nice little bye getting the chance to heal up. Jason Aponte from Niners Nation will be joining us and looking forward to getting his thoughts on can the San Francisco 49ers push their way to a Super Bowl? Nick, what do you thought? Do you, do you think they can get it done? Yeah. I mean, I think they got the best odds in the uh, NFC, right? And they're playing the Packers. And I don't think Jordan Love is going to have as easy as a day as he had against Dallas. Well, we'll definitely talk to Jason Aponte 4 o'clock hour. When we come back, we'll briefly talk about what do you do when you don't have enough players to field a Division I basketball team? How does that happen? How do you become a Power 5 school and not have enough players and you have to forfeit a couple of games? Well, that's happened in the NCAA. We'll talk about that briefly next here on The Final Drive. This is Mayor Sandy Stimson. You're listening to Sports Radio 105.5 FM WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive. And, Nick, we know the havoc that COVID played on a lot of teams across the country, not having enough players that were healthy. TCU women's basketball program start off the season with 14 on their roster. Okay. Now, due to injuries... They're down to six and had to forfeit their entire weeks of games in the Big 12 this week versus Kansas State and Iowa State, two top 25 women's teams. You, you can't go into a game with six? You can for the health and safety protocol of the student athlete what's the is mi- what's what the they minimum? say. Huh? What's the minimum? Like oh, I gotta you, go you have find to start with five. I got to at least go find, what, three more people? But you do – they're all having walk-ons. 
They're, they're accepting walk-ons. You had to be a full-time student at TCU. You had to have high school basketball experience. Okay. But imagine that, Look, being man, able I, to be at a got, power five. I still got my eligibility. I'm about to pull a Juana man. You're about to see Nicole Wiggins going <laughs> off in the Big 12. Hey, hey, listen, I tell you, Nick, in a Big 12 power five conference, that's tough to deal with. Having to forfeit two conference games and the revenue that you're going to lose behind that. Oh, yeah. Crazy, crazy story as far as 2024 is concerned for TCU women's basketball. When we come back, top of the hour, Jason Aponte will join us for Niners Nation to give us that preview of Green Bay versus San Francisco. of Mobile presents for the win the final drive no they didn't oh my gracious yep. how about that with Corey Labounty and Dick Wiggins for the win yes! live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the sound of Mobile app oh, oh, unbelievable Welcome to our number two of the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LaBounty, along with Nick Wiggins, joining you. And, of course, in our number one, we talked about the Tide transfer portal continuing. Five-star Julian saying the top-ranked quarterback in the 24 class, an early enrollee for the Crimson Tide. He submits his name to the portal. Amari Nyblack, he's already submitted his name in the portal and committed to Texas, but it the portal gives it and it takes us away as well austin mack the six foot six four-star transfer prospect out of washington decides he wants to play for coach DeBoer, and he will be coming back to join the crimson tide and coach DeBoer here very shortly major applewhite had his introductory press conference for the south alabama jaguars today and also antonio pierce looks like he's going to wind up being the new Raiders head coach out there in Vegas. And also kudos to South Alabama and Richie Riley having a big win over Troy last night, 74 to 71. And as we get ready for the NFL playoffs this weekend, the 49ers very well rested. They're 12 and five, five and three at home. And, we welcome our next guest. He's no stranger to the final drive. Jason Aponte joining us. He's part of the Niners Nation and covers the San Francisco 49ers. How's everything going, Jason? Everything's going great, Corey. Uh, thank you guys for having me, as always. 49ers Packers. The 49ers found themselves having an opportunity to sit and watch a lot of football, including the upset of the Packers over the Cowboys. And you look back, the Packers and 49ers, they've played some great games in the past. The Niners are nine-and-a-half-point favorites Saturday at 7.15. Do you expect the Niners to take care of business in advance and be a couple of wins away from winning another Super Bowl? I do, absolutely. And and this is not the Green Bay Packers. I think what they've accomplished is something that should be Cherished, I think, uh, especially when you consider Jordan Love's progression throughout 
season and Matt LaFleur being able to get it done with, uh, with the team that they've been able to assemble. Um, and, and it just goes to show that the Shanahan tree is strong because you look at it, Matt LaFleur is in, Sean McVay is in, Mike McDaniel was in, um, you know, Robert Salua probably Rodgers wasn't there. But, you know, I, I don't think that the, me picking the 49ers to beat the Packers is an indictment on Green Bay because I believe that what they've done is is something that should be built upon, but the 49ers are far and away the better team, and the advantages that they have um, against them is going to be too much for them to overcome. They aren't the Dallas Cowboys, unfortunately. So do you think that last week's game for the Packers against the Cowboys was a little fluky? Um, because it's, it sounds like you're not, you're not thinking they're going to really be able to recreate that type of performance. I mean, Dallas, they, they were, you know, as elite as a team or pretty close to the Niners and the Packers took care of business? Um, okay, this is going to come off super biased, but when the 49ers destroyed the Dallas Cowboys, I literally wrote them off, like completely, as an NFC team that's close to the San Francisco 49ers. And when you look at their record against winning teams, it's, it's all there in front of you. The, the Dallas Cowboys did the D.C. dip and swirl that they do every single year. They beat up on the NFC East. They beat up on teams they're supposed to beat up on. But when they get to winning teams, they lose games. They lost to the Miami Dolphins. They lost to the San Francisco 49ers. They lost to the Philadelphia Eagles. Their record against winning teams is more indicative of the team that they are than the team that beats up on the teams they're supposed to. And that's where you get all the, well, is Dak an MVP? Oh, well, are they good? I I'm sorry, this may sound biased, but I never once bought into the idea of the Dallas Cowboys being one of the elite teams. And that performance was indicative of what I've thought since the 49ers blew them out on, on Sunday Night Football. Well, we'll get an opportunity to see a very familiar matchup, 49ers and Packers looking at your Niners Nation post, meeting for the playoffs for a record 10th time and i know that this mm -hmm. is you know new faces and new places in regards to this matchup here but brock purdy i, I know that he doesn't have to be pretty he just winds <laughs> up finding results and we'll see here if he can go ahead and take the 49ers back to an opportunity to be two wins from the super bowl but when you look overall at the slump that purdy went through to lose those three games in a row, people thought they had enough film on him and had him figured out. What has allowed him to overcome that early three-game slump and kind of rebound and find himself again? I, I think it's a lot of people not being able to put aside their bias of where he was drafted. I mean, it's so much easier to bet against the last pick in the NFL draft than it is to bet against a first-round pick that has been bad for three years. I'm certain that there's a coach, there's a fan base, there are people that want Mac Jones to get another shot with someone else. I'm certain that there's people that want Zach Wilson go somewhere else so you can see what you unlock. But it's so much easier to discount what Brock Purdy has done because he's the last pick in the draft and you've never seen it. And I think that takes away your objectivity because when you watch him play football, even those three games that they lost, they were a field goal away from winning the game against Cleveland. They fumbled the football in the red zone against the Minnesota Vikings, and they had a, a horrific touchdown that was allowed on defense at the end of the half. All of that stuff gets thrown on the quarterback. But I think people are just discounting the fact that Brock Purdy is doing something that you've never seen because no one's ever done it. Just because it's unprecedented doesn't mean that it's not real. And it's easier to discount the last pick in the draft and dismiss him than it is to give flowers to him because there are so many. I mean, 
for goodness sakes, the 49ers' backup quarterback is Sam Darnold. I'm certain there's people that want to see Sam Darnold play football and, and, get a, and get a shot. And it's just how many times can you watch one player year after year after year be the same guy, yet completely dismiss what Brock Purdy has done? Sure, the weapons are good. Peyton Manning had weapons. Kurt Warner had weapons. Tom Brady had weapons. Every single quarterback that has nearly won a Super Bowl in this entire time has had playmakers. I just don't understand why people just don't understand that Brock Purdy is just a good quarterback. It doesn't matter where he was drafted. How huge was it to get this bye week for Christian McCaffrey and have an opportunity to kind of get a little healthier, get some treatment, and to have a healthy Christian McCaffrey to make this Super Bowl push for the 49ers? It's huge. Um, I think particularly in this matchup, what the Packers are susceptible to is the run game. Um, so Christian McCaffrey is going to be vital in that. But just the gravity of him being on the field, him being there, and him even just moving a little bit in motion and pulling a linebacker out of the way so the ball can be thrown to Brandon Ayuk, his gravity is so much and so valuable to this team, let alone from the fact that when he does touch the ball, he's incredible. Uh, I, I think it's paramount. I think it's paramount. I mean, Fred Warner said it best. The last time the 49ers had the number one seed, they literally had to play to the last second in 2019 against the Seattle Seahawks before they secured that. They secured that in week 17, and they took the entire week off in week 18, allowing him to get two weeks off and against a valuable matchup in which you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the 49ers ran the ball 35 times, 37 times, and just completely railroaded this defense based on that. And Christian McCaffrey's vital. So I think his gravity is one thing, but in this matchup, he's going to absolutely feast. I would take whatever the over is on his, uh, his rushing yards because that seems like easy money. So I, I know you say you try not to be biased, but do yep, you think— I am super biased, though, uh, by the way. <laughs> right, right. Keyword try. So, so this is the year in your eyes that yes. Kyle Shanahan finally gets that Super Bowl with this Niners team, right? Yes. I mean, if not now, then when? Sure. If not now, then when? And I think that's kind of where I am at this point, right? If I would have told anyone who listens and watches the NFL that the four remaining quarterbacks in the NFC were going to be Brock Purdy, Jared Goff, Baker Mayfield, and, um, oh, my goodness, I'm forgetting uh, the other team. My goodness. Oh, and, and Jordan Love, you probably would sit there and have laughed at me. So the 49ers have the path straight to Las Vegas without, any, without having to travel. Um, you have these three teams, and you would have thought the Philadelphia Eagles and Dallas Cowboys would have been involved in this conversation. But it's right there in front of you at this point. Like, it's, it's, it's not now when. You know, you have Chase Young, Nick Bosa, Javon Hargrave, Eric Armstead, the whole team's healthy. You have this offense performing at the way that they are. Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, all pro first team. If not now, then when. And it's not me being confident in it. It's because if it doesn't happen now, then I get fearful that it may never happen at this point. Because how many good circumstances can line up for the 49ers at this point? Right. Well, l let me ask you this. What teams do you think are going to be the biggest deterrent to this goal, whether it be, you know, as they're trying to battle through the NFC to get to the Super Bowl, or maybe it is the AFC competition that they face there at the end? 
I mean, honestly, the Los Angeles Rams were the team that scared me the most because of it's a, it's a divisional team. And ironically, they were the team that lost, but they played the best game. Like Dallas and Philly lost, but they didn't lose like Los Angeles lost. They went down to the last moment. And Los Angeles had a quarterback that was rolling. They had a, a great running game, and they lost by one point to the Detroit Lions. Obviously, you look at the Detroit Lions who beat them and say, yeah, they're probably in your way. Spoiler alert, I'm going to pick the 49ers and Lions in the NFC um, this weekend. And then in the AFC, when you look at it, I love Houston. I love D'Amico Ryans. I think what C.J. Stroud is doing is incredible. But I still think the Baltimore Ravens are too prepared. They're going to find a way to get that one done. And I think the Bills finally knock off the Kansas City Chiefs, which will leave them both for that. So if the biggest determinant, in my opinion, would be who they face in Las Vegas. But I do have a kind of a hot take, and you guys can hold me to it. I think the Buffalo Bills and the San Francisco 49ers end up in Las Vegas, and the 49ers wind up winning the Berman Bowl for the first time. Shout out to Chris Berman, who has predicted it for like 30 straight years, and he might get it right this year. <laughs> hey, look, we'll definitely hold you, hold it to you for it, yeah. and we'll call you back next week to, to talk about how the 49ers played here in this NFC Divisional Playoffs. And at the beginning of the year, if you had to, to pick a strength – and or a weakness of this 49ers roster coming out of preseason, what would you have said would have been the biggest strength and what would you have said would have been the biggest weakness and have the 49ers adjusted and changed what your thought process was for those strengths and weaknesses? What's funny is that it's going to come from both sides of the same ball. So defensively, I would have thought the defensive line with Javon Hargrave, Nick Bosa, this is before they got Chase Young, Javon Hargrave, Nick Bosa, Drake, Jack, Drake Jackson, Eric Armstead would have been this force of nature, and it didn't really happen that way. And then the, 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 the thing that I would have thought was the weakness was the secondary. And funny enough, after the bye week, once Steve Wilkes came down from the booth, and they, they acquired Chase Young, obviously, both of those things got married together, and now it feels like the secondary is a bit more of a strength than the defensive line, which I don't have a way to wrap my head around it, but the defensive line is doing enough, but the secondary is doing so much that it's hard to argue what Steve Wilkes has done, and that's why uh, so many people are interviewing him to be a head coach. So, yeah, I would have said defensive line is the biggest strength, and I would have said secondary is the biggest weakness, but right now... I would say the secondary is just a little bit ahead of the defensive line, and if the defensive line catches up, you know, look out for everybody else. That's, that's unfortunate for them. San Francisco 49ers will be playing 7-15 on Saturday versus the Green Bay Packers, the 9-8 and Green Bay Packers. Again, the, the, the most one of the, the most anticipated matchups in regards to the 10th time, anytime you have a, a common opponent that fans are very well aware of whether you're a cheesehead or whether you're a 49ers fan like our guest this afternoon here on the final drive Jason Aponte Niners Nation joining us to talk about the San Francisco 49ers road to the Super Bowl and how it's going to unwind and he does feel that the Bills and the 49ers will be playing one another for it all and I know it is one game at a time there for the 49ers, other than Christian McCaffrey being dinged up. Any other 49ers that have played a pivotal role throughout the entire season not going to have an opportunity to see action? I mean, uh, I, I did want to shout out to Rel Luter because he did actually get a chance to play in Week 18. He was a vital starter. I mean, they, you know, 
there's only 53 men on the roster, so you can't rest everybody in Week 18. That's why you see some guys out there. But Darrell Luter is getting valuable experience. I do believe that this team believes in him um, very much, and they see him as a vital part of their secondary, um, regardless of who comes, who goes. Traveris Ward is somebody who is probably playing himself into a bigger contract, whether that means he's staying with the 49ers, whether it doesn't. He's had a phenomenal season. But they do view Darrell Luter as a guy that they're going to lean on um, further on, and they've talked about over and over as someone who's very mature and fits their, and fits their culture. Um, in, in terms of who has really done things for this team that is not named like Debo Samuel, George Kittle, uh, Brock Purdy, Chris McCaffrey. It's hard to it's hard to not highlight somebody on the offensive line that I feel like nobody is talking about aside from Trent Williams, who I think is the best left tackle in the world, is uh, actually is actually the center Jake Brendel. I think he's done a great job, and I think he has. For someone who has literally st- is starting his second season, even though he's in his age 32 season, um, I think it's ultra impressive for somebody to kind of wait for their moment and, and take advantage of it. So I would say Jake Brendel, but I wanted to make sure that I got a shout-out to Darrell Luter because he is somebody who I think uh, this team values going forward, and he's going to be a 49er for a little while. Absolutely. Darrell Luter Jr., of course, we talked to you when – he was drafted there by the 49ers and what he was going to mean and battling through the injuries that we've seen him battle through. And just to be able to hit the field this season is a tremendous honor. And, Jason, if people want to follow all of your 49ers coverage and see if your prediction of the Bills and 49ers holds true and with the 49ers taking on the Packers on Saturday, how can people catch up and follow all of your great coverage? Thank you again, Corey, for having me. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Anytime you guys ask, I got you. And, uh, yeah, uh, Jason Aponte, 2103 on X or Twitter, whatever the kids are calling it. Um, And on YouTube, Jason Aponte, if you search Jason Aponte 49ers, it'll be the one that's on there. Weekly shows um, talking about the 49ers, talking about NFL football. Um, And, uh, you know, I'll be in Mobile. In about two weeks, I'm I'm super excited. The Senior Bowl uh, has got a little bit more juice to it now that Michael Penix is going to be there and a bunch of underclassmen. I am super excited to get down there to Mobile. It's always a blast when I'm um, at the Senior Bowl. We look forward to catching up with you. We'll have the Super Bowl matchups then. And if you're 100% accurate, whether you are or not, we're still going to have you on throughout the week (laughs) on our Reese's Senior Bowl coverage here on WNSP. Always appreciate your time and Enjoy the game on Saturday, and we'll see where the 49ers stand after that. Thank you, guys. And as always, uh, I got you guys whenever you need me. Thank you so much for uh, for having me on. Absolutely. Jason Aponte, Niners Nation, joining us this afternoon on the final drive. And when we come back, we've been talking about the transfer portal and how it's affecting college athletics. And you would think one of the biggest names in the college coaching world would have something to say about the transfer portal. Well, that biggest name is none other than Deion Sanders. We'll hear from Coach Prime coming up on the other side of this break here on the final drive. Hey, this is AJ McCarron, and you're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LaPounty along with Nick Wiggins and the transfer portal ain't cheap. Well, that's according to Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, 
talking about how much money 50k will get you in the transfer portal hearing from coach prime is always a treat they need to just jump in the portal with what they cost it's just pick it easy <laughs> hey uh hundred thousand here fifty thousand here five hundred thousand yeah. here yeah, 50, 50, 50 oh my gosh 50, 50 get your walk on these days yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. rg3 and Dion sanders chopping it up there 50k will get you a walk on is what coach prime says you know, it, the cost of the transfer portal is enormous. And Dion had one more great comment there in talking with RG3 about not only the transfer portal, but also giving his thoughts on who he calls the GOAT, his AFLAC partner, Nick Saban. He is so powerful and so strong that he's affected yep. three programs. He's affected <laughs> Alabama by leaving. He's affected Washington by that guy leaving. Then he's affected Arizona by that guy leaving. That's, you know how cool that is. I'm like, coach, you are killing him, boy. You are killing him. Yeah. And guess what? All of them are calling us right now. Trying to get in. <laughs> they want to come to Colorado. Exactly. So, any. Any lies told there by Deion Sanders in regards to how much the price of a walk-on is Look, in I, college football? I already know that Dion has been on the phone trying to get a lot of these, or at least, you know, gauge the interest of a lot of these new portal guys. And I guarantee, you know, Dion is speaking from the heart. I, I, I would bet that, at least, you know, multiple times he's called and they say, Hey, coach, if you if you can't guarantee at least 80k, I, I can't I can't do it with you. Oh, hey, coach, they're saying my agents my agency is saying 120k. Can you do 120k? Oh no, I'm just trying. Oh, sorry, coach, I got I got Sarkeesian calling in. You know that I I guarantee that's how it is, man. These these agents give their guy a number and they say, hey, look, get in this portal. We can go get you this number, and. I mean that's how it is. I mean these guys, these kids are working with agents now, and they have to because of these big, you know, multi-thousand-million-dollar deals. But that's definitely how it's going, man. And some people got the money to meet a lot of these asking prices, like a Texas. Texas seems Texas, Florida State, Georgia seem to be the three uh, places that are really sweeping up with the NIL here in this little late window, thanks to Nick Saban. Uh, kind of mixing things up a little bit. And, and Nick, again, the thing that's got to be emphasized is the fact that when the portal opens back up after April and you're looking at people like Peyton Thorne who find a home after the spring games are done for all these schools, these late edition transfers, they're not going to have a chance to really hit the field with their teammates and get after it until the beginning of August when right. practice starts to get ready for the first games that are going to be played at the end of August. So uh, 50K for a walk-on. What do you think Caleb Downs' asking price was? Or or Amari Nyblack or Isaiah Bond outside of his his. Who do you whip, think had the rank? higher price? Yeah. Who do you think? Um, I'll say Downs. I yeah, Young I would have to freshman. say. What What about Julian saying? What do you think? What do you think his asking price could be now that he's in 
in See, the portal. And that's tricky for me because this is a guy who's never done anything, right? I mean, I know we know he's going to be good. Correct. The potential's there, but he hasn't done anything yet. Caleb Downs, we saw the tape. Like, oh, this is a guy. I mean, Alabama fans, you get it. You know how, uh, you know, when, when your heart dropped into your ass when you saw that he was leaving and you were like, oh, no, this one really hurts. So I, I don't know what the price could be. Um, I remember when we were kind of going through our NIL evaluations throughout the year on who the top 10 people were. I don't think it's that high, but it means getting at least a couple hundred K. At least 50K will get you a walk-on in this transfer portal, yeah. according to Coach Prime. Yeah. User in the app says that he read somewhere where Isaiah Bond received the Lambo and 750K from Texas. And see, now I, if that is true, and, and I can't verify, but what are we really doing? I get Isaiah Bond was okay. But man, like... What does it say about the state of college football when I think we can all agree that was one of the worst receiving cores that Nick Saban has had in a very long time at Alabama, and those receivers are still worth a million dollars? Okay. That's what we're doing in college football, yeah. Nick. It's not what we're not doing. It's what we are doing. Right. And that's the biggest thing when you look at Julian saying hitting the portal and Nye Black hitting the portal. And I feel like, you know, we talk about the pricing being crazy, but, you know, the... The buyer sets the market, right? So if, you know, I think it's crazy that someone's paying Isaiah Bond 750 k for a year. But if someone is willing to pay him that, then that's what sets the price. And that's how it goes. So as long as there are these crazy teams that are willing to overpay these guys and they have this unlimited bucket of money that they can pull from and whatever deals with whatever car, car dealerships in your college town that you have, it's just crazy, man. It's crazy. Well, we'll talk to Ryan Talbot next. He is a beat writer for New York Upstate, the Buffalo Bills, taking on Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. We'll be hosting it. Nick, you know right now you can make $20 an hour if you're 18 years or older in the state of New York and Buffalo shoveling snow at the Bills Stadium. That's what they're paying per hour. And we'll talk about the weather and the factor that is in Buffalo. It was a snowstorm a week ago. They had to postpone the game a day. We'll talk to Ryan Talbot next. Beat writer, New York Upstate for the Buffalo Bills. Hi, this is Jake Peavy, MLB pitcher and Mobile, Alabama native. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. The NFL playoffs will continue this Saturday and Sunday as we're looking at divisional rounds. And you look at the super wild card, which should have been Saturday, Sunday, and rolled over into Monday because of the blizzard-like conditions there in Buffalo. The Bills able to survive a 31-17 game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And Ryan Talbot, Bills writer for New York Upstate, joins us to talk about really the survival of the fittest, literally and physically. The Bills were hanging and grasping on for dear life going into that 
regular season finale against the Miami Dolphins, won that game, and man, oh man, look where it has them now, and the wintry weather struck, and we're not able to play on the regular schedule time. I just want to know how the weather is now in Buffalo as we prepare for the Kansas City Chiefs to be traveling to Buffalo and getting a little bit of that Bills Mafia, Ryan. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. But, you know, the weather in Buffalo, they've been hammered all week once again uh, with snow. And uh, Orchard Park it has a, a fair amount as well. And, you know, the, the Bills put out a call once again for help with shovelers starting today at 2 p.m. And, and there was a line as long as you could imagine with Bills fans volunteering to help out this go-around uh no travel ban in place this time, which really limited the amount of shovelers they had last weekend. But uh, Bills fans definitely doing their part to make sure that the stadium is ready to go for Sunday night in a huge game. It really is a huge game. The Chiefs aren't used to being on the road in the playoffs with Patrick Mahomes as quarterback. Josh Allen, he throws three touchdowns last week versus the Steelers and continues his stellar play. But the matchups that we've seen here, especially going back to that 2021 game with Kansas City and Buffalo with Mahomes and Allen, we're expecting another barn burner in Buffalo this Sunday evening? Yeah, I think that's definitely fair to say. You know, you mentioned, though, the Bills for the last uh, five, six weeks have looked at every game as a playoff game because they were fighting for their lives just to make it into the playoffs. And, you know, everything kind of went their way and they ended up being the two seed. But these last two weeks, the regular season finale against Miami and then last week's game against Pittsburgh, uh, they have seen a lot of injuries, mostly on the defensive side of the ball, which is, Less than ideal when you have Patrick Mahomes coming to town. But the good news for the Bills is that Rasul Douglas should be able to go. Their number one cornerback, Tyrell Dodson, one of their starting linebackers, is off the injury list. And Taron Johnson told us today that uh, he's optimistic that he'll get to play. So, so some huge additions back on the defensive side of the ball in this matchup because, as you said, these games between Mahomes and Allen, and you know, they're usually shootouts. They're usually, especially in the playoff setting here, uh, the last person to have the ball wins, and it should be another classic here on Sunday night. When you do, let, let, let me ask you this: How important do you think that this game is for Josh Allen's legacy? You know, basically, kind of piggybacking off everything that you just mentioned. You know, the Chiefs—they've been. Not great this year, uh, as everyone has covered, I feel. Do you feel like, you know, it's kind of like, if not now, when for this Bills team and Josh Allen to finally get one on Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs? Yeah, it definitely feels that way. And, you know, I'm glad you said in the playoffs because, really, they've played six times and the series is tied 3-3. Three to three. It's just that the Chiefs have found ways in the two playoff matchups to win. 2020 Bills didn't have the roster to compete and then, uh, obviously, the following season, that game where Josh Allen gave the Bills the lead with 13 seconds left, and then the defense kind of collapsed. So, you know, he's done his part in, in terms of his legacy, but winning one here would certainly be huge. It, it's kind of that uh, hurdle that they need to get over, and I've seen some things in the media this week. It's kind of like Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls having to, you know, finally defeat the Detroit Pistons in a meaningful series before they could really take off. If, if the Bills do this, 
you know, whoever wins that other matchup between the Houston Texans and the Baltimore Ravens, uh, I think the Bills would go into that pretty loose, feeling pretty good, finally defeating that team that's given them so many issues over the years. So it's just big for this Bills team in general, and the fact that it'll be a high-mark stadium, uh, I think could end up being a huge factor. That the Chiefs have a right tackle in Juwan Taylor, who's been penalized more than anyone in football this year for false starts. So with that crowd noise, with that atmosphere, uh, I think the team that shoots themselves in the foot the least amount is going to win this game. Now, I don't want to, you know, speak any bad juju into existence, but let's say things don't go in Buffalo's favor and they do lose to the Kansas City Chiefs. Do you think Buffalo does any big overhaul moves for their roster? Or do you think they're pretty comfortable and would be willing to kind of run it back again with the same staff and players? Yeah, I think for the most part it would be a run-it-back situation, and partially because they do have confidence in this roster, but also just because of their cap restraints. I mean, right now the Bills don't have a ton of financial freedom. They're going to have some guys and go to free agency like Gabe Davis, and uh, they do need to restock and get younger at safety, but that can be done in the draft. You can get some cheaper guys in free agency at the safety position too. But for the most part, I think this team really likes its core. I mean, you, you have Josh Allen at quarterback. You have James Cook. Uh, who finished in the top three, top four of, of total yards in offense this season. Stefan Diggs is still a number one receiver, and I'm sure they're going to try to, I would guess, in the first two, one of the first two rounds of the draft, get another wide receiver that could potentially be his heir apparent. But they love Dolan Kincaid, and they still like Dawson Knox. The offensive line had a great year. And then there's you know a really good mix of young talent still on the defensive side of the ball, too. So... With the way the roster is, it's kind of a run it back and then kind of fill in a few gaps here and there. Ryan Talbot, our guest here, he Bills writer for New York Upstate. And when you were to look at the Buffalo Bills, would you have thought that they would actually, maybe five weeks ago, gone ahead and become AFC Eastern champions again? No, I mean, at that point in time, this team was six and six. They weren't playing. Uh, consistent football, you know, Sean McDermott talked all year about how all three phases had to kind of work together and it just wasn't happening. There was a special teams letdown against Denver where 12 men on the field cost them a win in that matchup, and there were defensive letdowns. There were some performances offensively where the Bills just were out of sync. Uh, and credit to Sean McDermott, you know, he parted ways with a good friend of his, in Ken Dorsey to let Joe Brady take over the reins, and, and this offense has looked a lot better for it, uh, including their one loss to the Philadelphia Eagles, where the Bills, you know, again, put up a really good offensive game plan. So the fact that they won out uh, their final five weeks, obviously that alone was not even enough necessarily to win the ASCs. They need the Miami to falter. And as we know, when the weather starts to go bad in December, January, that's when Miami has struggled the last few years. And happened once again you know you you see them drop a game to the tennessee titans that they really had no business losing blowing a 13 point lead late in the game uh getting thumped by baltimore the week before they played the bills in the regular season finale and then you know failing to beat the bills in, in a matchup that i feel like it's kind of like the bills need to defeat the chiefs miami needs to start doing that on a semi-regular basis to prove that uh this isn't still buffalo's division for the foreseeable future so you needed Miami to collapse, and that's exactly what happened once again. Well, when you do look at the game that was played in London, I know you had an opportunity to go across the pond and, 
and to see Buffalo play. You know, this Bills team has grown up when it needed to the most, and the Bills Mafia definitely in full effect, whether it's on the road. You look at that finale in Miami. I think there was as many Bills fans there, and if there weren't, they were definitely louder than the Dolphins fans. But those here in the state of Alabama, of course, we know about the diehard Alabama fans and the diehard Auburn fans and the noise that could be made at historic Jordan Hare and Bryant Denny. But talk about the Bills Mafia phenomenon. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you mentioned London. While the game didn't go well from the win-loss perspective, losing two key players and Matt Milano and Daquan Jones in that game, that was still just jam-packed with Bills fans. I was there for about a week, and everywhere you went, you saw fans wearing Bills gear. They were excited about uh, going across the pond, being in that game. So they, they travel in great numbers, even when it's outside of the United States, which is just a testament to their fandom. Uh, you mentioned the Miami game. Anyone that's listening to this, if you go on social media and you look up Deontay Hardy's uh, punt return for a touchdown, you would think that that game was held in Buffalo, the way the crowd started to build and get louder and louder and the fans all jumping up out of their seats. You see just a sea of Buffalo blue, not not the aqua color for the Dolphins, but tons of Bills fans there. Um, they're always supporting. They're always going on the road and, and cheering this team on. And then at home, too, you know, last week, like I said, they were able to shovel the stadium enough, but most fans, if they sat down, they were sitting in piles and snowbanks uh, essentially, but every touchdown that the Bills scored, you saw snowball celebrations going up in the air, uh, just a wild crowd and just an unbelievable environment. So this fan base deserves a winning team like they've had the last few seasons. Love to see them get over the hump and really go back to the AFC title game, maybe win that, give to the Super Bowl, because this team even rode through some hard times, that 17-year playoff drought. They're, they're always here and always supporting this Bills roster. Yeah, and that's the real deal of the Bills Mafia. And I know I, I can't thank you enough, Ryan, for, for taking time to join us and give us a preview of what we're going to see in this AFC Divisional Playoff. And I know there's nothing more than Buffalo Bills fans would, would love to see because when you think about the tough times that the Bills fans had to endure in seeing Buffalo get to the Super Bowl for those four consecutive years and Jim Kelly still living and, and being with us and Thurman Thomas, who will be honored here in Mobile at the 75th anniversary for the Reese's Senior Bowl. When you see players like that, I know within their lifetime, they would love to see the Bills get to another Super Bowl and have an opportunity to dethrone the reigning world champions. Yeah, listen, I mean, the, the opportunity is there for this team. And, you know, Chiefs defensive tackle Chris Jones said there's there's no real surprises between these two rosters. They know each other well. And for the most part, I agree with that. I mean, Buffalo has seen the Chiefs so many times in the regular season and the postseason over the last few years, and it works the same way with Kansas City. But the one X factor that I see in this game is, this is, you know, Joe Brady's second game against the Chiefs this season. He was only three games in as offensive coordinator in that regular season matchup. So there's not a lot of film in terms of what Joe Brady might throw at the Chiefs where, you know, we know what Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and company are going to try to do to Buffalo offensively. We know how good they are defensively. Uh, but there's also a lot of tape on that and what works and what doesn't work. So 
maybe that is the one X factor is Joe Brady can throw some wrinkles at this Chiefs defense that they haven't seen yet because it's not on film. Uh, and the longer he's been here as that interim offensive coordinator, the more wrinkles, the more play calls that you're starting to see him incorporate from his own playbook rather than that Ken Dorsey playbook that he's inherited and for the most part had to use because you can't overhaul an entire offense in a matter of weeks. Ryan, can't thank you enough for your time. If our listeners want to catch up on that mafia, Bills mafia fans, and really see what's going on inside of everything that is the Buffalo Bills and their matchup with the Chiefs, and if they're able to win that moving forward and as they get ready for the draft moving forward as well, how can people follow all of your tremendous Buffalo Bills coverage? Yeah, absolutely. They can follow me on uh, Twitter or X at Ryan Talbot Bills. They can find my work at NewYorkUpstate.com, Syracuse.com, and they can follow the Shout Buffalo Football Podcast and all your major podcast platforms. Ryan, can't thank you enough and look forward to talking to you again soon and maybe here in a couple of weeks as we prepare for the Reese's Senior Bowl. We'll be also preparing for a Bills versus whomever world championship like the way you think. Thanks for having me on. You got it. Ryan Talbot joining us here on the final drive. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Dan Jennings with the Washington Nationals and you're listening to WNSP Sports Radio 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Nick Wiggins. And coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour, we'll talk to former Baker High School head football coach Steve Norman. As the news was announced today, he will be stepping down as the Hornets head coach. So look forward to catching up with my good friend Steve Norman at the top of the 5 o'clock hour in and listening to what Ryan Talbot had to say, are you going to go Bills or Chiefs? The Bills Mafia, man, that cold weather is not going to affect the Chiefs because they're coming off negative 30. That's right. But does Mahomes have the weapons? I really want the Bills to win. I want the Bills to win, but I'm, I'm picking the Chiefs. I think Mahomes just – owns Josh Allen in the Bills, honestly, and, you know, maybe that's just kind of a media narrative, but I, I think that that's just how it's going to play out. Josh Allen's going to have one bad pick, you know, and I think the Chiefs are going to take advantage of that. The Chiefs got a great defense, and, you know, the Bills were up like 21 to 0 at one point in that Steelers game and they allowed them to come all the way back and that was a one touchdown game right there toward the end of it until they were really able to break away off a kind of lucky play but my 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 heart is with Buffalo but my head is with Kansas City. The Buffalo favored by two and a half because they are at home but right. when you look at Josh Allen 44 touchdowns lead the NFL this season. But here within the last four seasons, Nick, guess who also leads the league in turnovers? Uh, that's an easy one. That's also Josh Allen, right? <laughs> so you get with the good, you get the bad, you get a little bit of both. 
with Josh Allen. And again, it goes back to the draft starts here. Saw him come down here and play in the Reese's Senior Bowl before the Buffalo Bills drafted him. We saw him put on, and we'll see if he's able to overcome that arch nemesis that is now the magician Patrick Mahomes and see if they're able to come away with it now a game that hasn't been shown a lot of love Tampa Bay and Detroit you're looking at Detroit being two wins away from being in the Super Bowl one win away from playing in a NFC championship game first and foremost Nine and eight, the Buccaneers, if your money was on them, you had to be a diehard Buccaneers fan and believe in Baker Mayfield from the beginning because I surely didn't. I didn't even think the Bucs would win four games this season. And here they are having a chance to play in the NFC Divisional Playoffs one game away from the NFC Championship. I think I actually am rocking with the Buccaneers. You uh, like that upset special? Yeah, I don't. You think Detroit's going to choke at home? Mm, maybe. If they were going to choke to anyone, this Baker Mayfield Tampa Bay Buccaneers team might be the one because a lot of us forget a lot. A lot of this roster played in these Tom Brady Super Bowls, right? This is the Tom Brady Bucks era. So, I mean, these aren't just some random guys. And Baker Mayfield is probably just as good as Jared Goff. I know Jared Goff's been to the Super Bowl, but right now. I think they're both playing pretty elite. I like Mike Evans better than Amon Ra. I like the Bucks defense better than the Lions defense. I like that upset. So I don't know what the odds are, but I like it. NFC and AFC, two of the four matchups here. You like the Bucks and you like the Chiefs. We'll be right back. Talk to Steve Norman, former Bakerhead football coach, joins us next. The Sound of Mobile presents For the, win. the final drive. No, they didn't. Oh, my gracious. Yep. How about that? With Corey Labounty and Dick Wiggins. For the win. Yes. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. Oh, oh, unbelievable. Welcome to our number three of the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Nick Wiggins joining you and hope you have had a fantastic Friday and appreciate you for locking us in for our number three. And if you haven't downloaded the free Sound of Mobile app, you can do so. It's available on any Android or Apple device that you may have. Of course, you can also correspond with us in the app we love hearing from you in the app and here hopefully momentarily we'll hear from steve norman the former head football coach of the baker hornets he was with the hornets for five years as the head coach and you look at him going 29 and 24 and reaching the playoffs four times within his tenure as the head coach of the baker hornets i think that that in and of itself is something that's pretty interesting but I know that before we do get to coach Norman we do have a caller on the line caller good afternoon and welcome to the final drive who are we speaking with hey guys I'm Smokey uh you know I listen morning afternoon y'all do a great job 
I just want to make a comment about a couple things. Your previous caller, I'm a Green Bay Packer fan and a Tennessee volunteer fan, okay? So you see where I'm going. The guy that was on earlier, I mean, bless his heart, he's a 49er, you know, he does his job. He did a good job. But that's what the Cowboys thought. They're going to just wipe up the Packers. That's what your previous guy, the 49er guy, he thought that, you know, oh, we're looking to the Super Bowl. He's overlooking. I mean, anyway, that's all I got to say about that. But my main thing is about Tennessee, not being just a Tennessee fan, being an anti-Bammer fan, and I'm loving it right now. Loving it. I mean, everybody's jumping off the ship. The the it, trucks going downhill off a cliff. <laughs> plane crash. I mean, I'm loving it and. I mean, I know I, I respect Saban. I mean, even though I'm a Tennessee fan, right. he was the best. He was the GOAT. And I'm, but I'm loving it now. What goes around comes around, and it's getting ready to come to the Bammers. That's well, all I need to say. We appreciate you listening and tuning in, Smokey. Always great to hear from you. And Smokey, he's going to have to see if he'll have to wait past the third Saturday in October to light up his cigar as far as the Tennessee Volunteers being victorious over the Alabama Crimson Tide. And when you do look at high school football, where it all gets started for young men's dreams and before they enter the transfer portal and before NIL does enter high school athletics, one of the, one of the great guys in high school football, someone I always enjoy seen represent Baker High School for the last 20 plus years is Steve Norman and he's going to be tremendously missed by not only the Crichton Optimist Club we're going to have to invite him over to our Crichton Optimist Club coaches fish fry to be our honorary guitar picker and to go ahead and, and go ahead and serenade us with his musical talents that he has coach Norman I know that it, it's been a, a, a great run with your time at Baker High School and want to thank you for all your tremendous work that you've done with those young people out in West Mobile. But you decide to go ahead and retire and move the family to Mississippi. Tell our listeners what what all was entailed by that, Coach. Look, yeah, I don't know if I'm moving to Mississippi or not, but, you know, I started out coaching over there. I started out teaching over there when I first started. So I have, you know, I was over there about six years, and then before I moved over to Mobile. So I'm just thinking I could go back over there and maybe, you know, finish a few more years now that I'm I'm retiring from Alabama. I just had enough years in Alabama to retire, so I thought it was a good time to do it. Absolutely, Coach. And, and when you do look any specific school that you'll be looking at going over to, to help coach out in Mississippi? No, not really. You know, this has all happened really really kind of sudden. You know, I really kind of started thinking about it at the end of the season. I really didn't know if I had enough even years enough to retire. I had to even go plug it in to see how many years <laughs> I had coaching or whatever. So it wasn't like I was, you know, ready to go, ready to get out of there or whatever. But at the same time, you know, if it's time to get out, you know it's time. And it was a good time for me to get out. So, you know, I've been I've been at Baker for a long time. I've been there 20 years, been the head coach for five, I guess. So, you know, it, it was a good time to it was a good time to retire and get out and, and maybe go do something different. In your time there, Coach, as head coach, you guys, four out of the five years, have an opportunity to make the playoffs. And you look at the legendary 
former Mississippi coach Jack French having success at Baker as well. And you two guys, especially here recently with yourself, have been able to put Baker football on the map because the one thing about the Hornet hooligans out there at Baker High School, whether the Hornets were 0-10, whether they were 8-2, and it didn't matter. The student body in the Westmobile community at Baker High School always shows up and shows out. Right, right. I mean, that's a great thing about that place, you know. I mean, like I said, it's it's near and dear to me because, you know, my 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 son played ball for me last year out there. My daughter was a, a cheerleader out there. My wife still teaches there. So it, it's a great place, and it's that way because of the community support. The You know, our, our administrator supported the school, Mr. Peru and Curtis, our athletic director. Man, those guys have always been so supportive of me and, you know, and, and, and gave me an opportunity to be a head coach when I had no head coach experience whatsoever so they they kind of took a chance on me and and I really appreciate all the things they've done to make it you know as special as it is absolutely and and, and you've had an opportunity here to to coach some special players I know this senior class you look at leaving out with someone like Josh Flowers and Bryce Kane and and your son as well and so many other players here in this senior class have really changed the culture Ed Baker, because like yeah. I said, for so long right. growing up, Baker was a doormat for high school football. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just right. going to, you know, know you, hate, you hate to say that, but, you know, I, and let me tell you now, the thing about it is, is Corey, you know, I, I, heck, I was there a long time. So I was there through some of those lean years, you know. So I knew what it was like to uh, have those one and nine and those two and eight seasons and, and things like that. And it wears you. It wears you down to a cob. And But the thing about it is, you know, and I, I think, you know, sometimes I know, especially for me, a head coach gets a lot more credit than they deserve. I mean, you know, it, it, if you got good players around you and you got good assistant coaches like I've always had, you know, it makes my job so much easier, you know, because it's easy to coach when you got really good football players. If you ask anybody that, anybody for, at any level, I don't care if you're at, at Westmobile Park or you talk to, you know, uh, coaches in NFL. If you got good players, you're going to be, you know, you can do great things. So that and my assistants have always been really good. I've had great staff, you know, come through there and, and been really good to me and been very loyal to me, and, and that's always a big bonus, and that helps tremendously. Coach, you, you can't escape college athletics without talking about NIL and the portal and how its trickle-down effect is slowly right. going to affect high school athletics, not just football, but high school athletics in general. And, of course, we know football is the cash cow. But, you know, as you're exiting the state of Alabama, let's let's talk about your thoughts really moving forward here on how is it for the betterment or for the worse for high school athletes – to be in, yeah, in, that's, so that's such a tough question because number one, uh, you know, I think NIL is eventually going to bleed its way into high school. If you look at the surrounding states around us, I, I know there's even legislation in Alabama to to bring it into the high school level and to make it a part of it. And the thing about it is, you know, is if you've let that genie out of the bottle, how are you going to get it back in? And we've let the genie out of the bottle. And that's why you have at the collegiate level. You know, we emulate everything at the collegiate level in high school. We, we, we run the same stuff they do. We try to do the same, run our programs the same way. So when they are bringing in NIL, that's just something else that we're probably going to start adopting as well. And it's, it's a tough it's a tough thing to navigate because you want these kids, if they deserve, you know, that the accolades they get, 
you know, you know, what should prevent them from making money if they can make the money. So, you know, it's very tough. And, and the amount of money in colleges now has really changed the whole landscape of college football because of it. So, you know, I got real mixed emotions about it because, I'm all, I mean, I love the game. I love football. I love everything about the sport and, uh, you know, the, the, the everything about it. You know, that's one thing I'm going to miss about this job more than anything is, you know, having Friday nights. So, you know, and, and with all that being said, I, I don't know how to navigate what's about to happen at the high school level with it and I don't think anybody does and I think that's something that colleges learned very quickly that this is a very difficult you know road to navigate and what they're doing sometimes may not be the best thing that's why I think that a lot of coaches are really starting to get you know uh, discouraged with the whole business of it it's like a coach told me today this is a a great game and a great sport but a terrible business yeah I I agree with you there that it can be terrible at times but there are a lot more good moments than bad moments and anytime somebody says the name coach I know that you know you automatically turn around and and you get into this profession not for the money to make a difference in young men's lives and and you've been able to do so and when you think about you know painting of the fields on Wednesdays or Thursdays just the everyday day-to-day duties that you had at Baker High School to get ready for game day. What is it that you're going to miss most about Baker High School and that Westmobile community? Man, more than anything, it's going to be the players. You know, it's going to be the guys that you see every day and, and the growth that you see in them. You know, I can remember when 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 Josh and Bryce and Rod and, and KJ and those guys were freshmen and they were walking in and for the very first time and they, you know, came into the field house the first time, the first set of workouts they went through and, and, and watching them come in there as, as just these, you know, bright-eyed young men and then grow into these outstanding, almost elite-level athletes that you know they're, they're that do such great things on the field and it led to opportunities for college you know that's the other great thing is 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 trying to find all these guys opportunities at the next level you know regardless of whether it be a division one division two II, division three if they had an opportunity to go on to the next level and have their college paid for and, and get that opportunity that's what I'm going to miss more than anything is being around those players and being around those guys and seeing them be successful you know successful young men. Well, Coach, I you know, I know personally I'm going to miss you because of your accessibility for your Baker High School program on MCPSS Television Network with Al Whedon and myself as we prepare each and every week on Sundays. Always so accessible there. Always give us great nuggets and knowledge and always love to see the Steve Norman onside kick or the Steve Norman special teams yeah. tricks to begin games. Right. And, you know, I, I know – I still before before you get away, I, I definitely have to get you to, to to write a song for us here on the final drive, man. So so we can play that thing. I, you know, we talked about that yes. before, Corey, that we're yes. gonna try to get a tune together yes. just for the final drive and get us a good tune and let that be either your intro or your outro music, <laughs> one or the other, man. So we gotta get that together. And, and and I'm telling you, Coach, I really want you to work on that for me and do know this that you're always welcome at our Crichton Optimist Club. 
banquet and, and fish fry because you are definitely the life of, of that party for all the coaches and 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 we definitely got to get you coming in now that you have retired from the school system yeah. here in the state of Alabama. We really would love to hear your tunes now. Yeah, coach. really. I, I can really cut loose now that I'm, I'm retired. I can really come in there and say some stuff I shouldn't be saying. Uh, but man, I really great. appreciate it. No, I really appreciate you too, Corey. I mean, you and Al and everybody at, at the at the radio and at, at, at MCPS TV have always done such a great job at, at, of supporting us and 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 putting the right things out there and always trying to highlight the kids. It's really been a it's really been a pleasure. Absolutely. Coach Norman, I, I wish you and your wife and your family the best. Loved watching your daughter at homecoming be crowned last year. And, and again, having an opportunity to see your son this year, call his name as well. And just wish you and your family the best moving forward. And definitely don't be a stranger as we'll be looking for that tune here on the final drive. I'm going to start working on it right now. Every day is like Saturday for me, so now i got a little time to start working on a particular tune for you. Got it. Steve Norman, former head baker, football coach. Again, five years as the head coach, four including the playoffs there for the Baker Hornets program, over 20 years on that Baker campus, and immediate search there for Principal Peru will be opening up on Monday. Looking forward to moving that Hornet program in 7A Region 1 reclassification. We'll see how they're able to do. And coming up next here on the final drive, back to hoops we go. Bucky McMillan, 16 straight wins, the longest in the nation. If you were to tell me the longest winning streak in college basketball would be here in the state of Alabama, I would say, yeah, that's either from Alabama, Auburn, UAB, South Alabama. No, folks, it's from the Sanford Bulldogs. Bucky Ball, Bucky McMillan, head men's coach of the Sanford Bulldogs, joins us next on the final drive. Hey, this is Stuart Sink for the PGA Tour. You're listening to WNFB Sports Radio in Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Nick Wiggins joining you this Friday evening. Thanks for having us tuned in, locked in. Hope you've had a great work week. Of course, Major Applewhite introduced today officially as South Alabama's head football coach, the fourth in the history of the program. Ty transfer portal continues. Five-star Julian saying he hit the portal not quite sure where he'll wind up. LSU, Ohio State, and Texas were all recruiting him prior to his commitment to Alabama. Amari Nyblack, he's gone to Texas. And you look at Antonio Pierce being named the new Raiders coach today. That's pretty interesting. Sports Illustrated, it's going to be no more. I, I don't know. I that know I have a lot of our guests, man. I, I have plenty of Sports Illustrated from back in the day, and there's some great covers, all time iconic covers. What's your favorite Sports Illustrated cover? Let us know in the app. Would love to hear from you there. And South Alabama men's basketball, big time win over Troy last night, 74 to 71. Richie Riley and the guys moved to 10 and 8, 3 and 3 in conference. Troy is 5 and 1 in conference now, 11 and 7 overall and just wanted to hit you with those quick updates and headlines there of today's show and we also were able to talk to Jake Crane, Jason Aponte, Ryan Talbot and Steve Norman 
all today as well. And when we come back, we'll talk to Bucky McMillan. He has the nation's longest winning streak, 16. They opened up the season against the number one ranked Purdue Boilermakers. That didn't go well. And then they played VCU. That didn't go well. Two losses, but 16 and two now. 16 straight wins. Bucky McMillan. Bucky Ball. We'll catch up with him next here on the final drive. Hey, this is Dabo Sweeney. You're listening to WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Nick Wiggins joining you this evening. And it's hoops galore as far as we're turning the page now from football to basketball, conference play in full swing. And one of the better teams in the country, you better take notice of the Samford Bulldogs. We know about Alabama. We know about Auburn. But South Alabama with a huge win over previously undefeated Troy last night. The Sanford Bulldogs, they started off 0-2, but when they started the season, it was against the likes of Purdue, the number one ranked team in the country, and VCU. And since then, Bucky McMillan has won 16 straight in Birmingham, Alabama. The fourth-year head coach of the Bulldogs joins us. Coach, how's everything going? Going great. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure to talk Bucky Ball. Bucky McMillan, for those that don't know his story, a very successful high school coach at Mountain Brook High School. And with the success that he had there in the multiple state championships, was able to take that 94 feet of pure D defensive hell onto Sanford and the Bulldogs now are 16-2. and two. Coach, talk about your season so far and the success that you guys have established. Yeah, we were having a great year. Like you said, we won 16 in a row, which right now is the longest active win streak in the country. We um, were leading the country in points per game, right above 91, 92 a game. We're a top five team in uh, – uh, three-point shooting, uh, number two or three in assists, number two in the country in fast break points. So a lot of good things going on, and I always say all that because i got to market our program as well to say if you haven't got a chance to come to a game up here in Birmingham, we'd love to have you. Good basketball, fun team to watch play. Coach, let's talk about your roster because I know I saw your style of play. I know I coached for Otis Hughley at LaFleur High School, and he loved the pressure defense. He loved the constant movement, and defense always travels for a team. But the pace and the play in which you guys play it, you mentioned leading the country and scoring and having an opportunity there to get up and down the floor and to let the shots go. Coach, where did that philosophy come from? And talk about some of the guys on your roster who are helping you achieve this goal. Well, when I came along, I played, and I was played in, in Birmingham, and I played played a, a school where they thought, you know, if you were going to compete on a national or statewide level, or even a city-wide level, that you had to play slow-down basketball and play in the 30s, kind of. And well-coached team, we were very well-coached, and some and some of the teams that we were playing against kind of adopted that style um, that were successful and teaches their own. But I just knew that if I ever coached, I was going to play 
kind of a rebel at heart. So I said, we're going to play up and down. We're going to press the whole game. We're going to shoot a lot of threes. We're going to try to beat people up in the 90s. So uh, basic came just from my playing days and kind of wanted to prove that you don't have to play a certain way. You can play anyway and be successful as long as you're sound in what you do. And so when I started coaching, that's how we always played, and um, that's how we've been successful with this style. You know, every coach got to coach their personality, right? I mean, like Jim Behan probably wouldn't be successful coaching that way, and I wouldn't be successful coaching a 2-3 zone the whole game. Like, that's just everyone's got their own personality. And um, fortunately, this year we got a lot of players who fit that style, who fit how we like to play. This is the first year that it's been all of my recruits. And so – We've really identified players who can get up and down, uh, who can shoot the basketball, who want to share the basketball. And uh, it's been a fun year because of it. Coach, making that transition during a tough COVID year in your first year as a collegiate head coach, talk about what you've learned since year one, this being year number four. And not many people get that opportunity to make the transition in their backyard where Mountain Brook is located there in Birmingham, Alabama, to getting the Division One head coaching job and just what you've learned there. Well, uh, the biggest thing is you're playing with the shot clock. And that's what we, we don't have that in, in Alabama. I think that if the state really wants to see basketball go to another level and wants to see their players develop at another level, and it'd be the number one thing that they could do in Alabama high school sports to better the game is put a shot clock in. And I know some coaches will say, well, it's not that's not fair. I don't get to work, to choose which players that I have, so i got to find a way to win my this way. Well, Fortunately, guys, it's not about you as a coach. It's about the players, and those players need to be able to do play a way that's going to be conducive to the way that basketball's played, not only in the NBA, not only in college, but all over the world starting at a young age. In overseas countries where essentially now by their projection by the years 2028 or 2029, you'll have more players from overseas playing in the NBA than you'll have Americans playing in the NBA. Don't you think about that? So you to think about the dream team back in 1992 when they went through the Olympics and they're winning the Olympics by you know 50, 60, 70 points. Well, in that time frame of, of you know 30 years, we've been caught. The United States has been caught and is about to be surpassed by the international game. So what is that saying? There's something we're not doing right over here. There's something we're not doing right in our development, or there's just something they're doing a lot better. And one of the things that they are doing is they're playing with the shot clock at an early age. They're also doing things, you know, with their players. They're not saying a big guy sits on the block. They're saying a big guy is treated and trained like a guard. And um, I do know that if we're serious about the United States having the best basketball and producing the best players, we ought to take ownership of that. And I know one of the things that, that must happen is there needs to be a shot clock at the high school level. That's something when I came to the college level we had to adapt to is that shot clock. And what I can tell you is teams are going to play much harder on defense because they know it's capped the amount of time they're going to have to play defense. The offense has to be much more proficient. It, it has to allow playmaking. Playmaking has to be developed because at the end of the, the day when the shot clock's going down, there's going to be a lot more playmaking. And so uh, that's really what it is. And, and if I ever went back to high school, I would be such an advocate to make sure that, hey, look, we all got to band together. This is by far the, the biggest change that needs to be made in the high school game. I agree with you there, Coach. And one of the benefits that we had when I was coaching at LaFleur and when you were coaching at Mountain Brook, we would go to these national tournaments to where there would be a shot clock 
to where we yep. had to adjust. I mean, I remember with DeMarcus Cousins playing in the Hoop Hall Classic there, the Spalding Hoop Hall Classic on MLK Day, and here it is. We're playing Lance Stevenson on national television, and yes, there is a shot clock. And when that buzz went off, sometimes our guys were trying to figure out for the first couple of possessions, yes, we are on a shot clock, and how it changed the pace and the play and I, I'm with you, Coach, across the board, especially here in the state of Alabama, in order for us to be successful. I think that eventually it will be adopted, hopefully sooner than later. And Bucky McMillan is our guest this evening here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. He's the head basketball coach at Sanford. The Bulldogs on the nation's longest winning streak, 16 in a row. Bucky has the Bulldogs at 16-2. and two. Coach, talk about some of the guys on your roster because you mentioned the amount of points that you're scoring, but talk about some of your leading scorers or your rebounders or just some leaders on your team that are helping make your job much easier. Absolutely. You know, it's been a miraculous run by our guys, particularly considering the uh, uh, preseason player of the year, someone who's projected the preseason player of the year, Jermaine Marshall, has been out for a long since since Christmas uh, with a torn meniscus. So we've had to have a lot of guys step up because Jermaine is such an integral part of our team. And one of those guys that stepped up is a guy named Achora Chor, who's a Sudanese kid, grew up in Australia, went to Green Park High School for a couple of years in the States, started playing basketball late, then went to Chipola Junior College for a year, then we got him to Sanford. And um, anyways, a long route, started playing basketball late, and he is just flourishing. And we play Western Carolina, who's a very good team here in our league. We're both we're sitting at 15-2. and two. They beat uh, Vanderbilt. They beat Notre Dame. And Chor had 35 points on them and, and 10 rebounds, or 12 rebounds, excuse me. And um, he really, he's really playing well, and he's a fun player to watch. If, if, you, if you get a chance to watch his play, he's a 6'8 guy who can do it all over the – do can play all over the floor. Ryland Jones is a really good guard for us. He came from uh, Utah State and grew up in Utah, was a Gatorade Player of the Year two years in a row, has all-time assist record in Utah. He's just kind of our glue guy, kind of glues everything together. And um, elite point guard, right? elite point guard, I would take him up there with any of the point guards in the country. It makes everybody around him better. And um, Jermaine, Achor, Ryland would be our, our three guys that, that – Hey, they've they've really done a great job leading this team. But a player who's kind of come on this year and been a great scorer for us has got AJ State McCray, who was injured for a time the the previous two years, and he's back. He's healthy and he's had some big games. Had a 26, 28 point game for us, and he's playing well well too. But we go 10, 12 deep. You know, we've got an in-state guy Garrett Hicks, who's a great player who played it. Uh, he graduated from Alabama A&M, came down here and. He's been a great player for us. Dallas Graziani, he's a great point guard. And we've got some really good freshmen. They're having to wait their turn, but we've got some good freshmen. So, overall, it's good. One more player in the state people may remember is a guy named Chandler Lepper, who's played at Auburn as a walk-on and came up to us. And he's he's been one of the best three-point shooters in our league and probably one of the best three-point shooters in the country. So, lots of depth, lots of good players, and it makes it fun when you can play all those guys. Absolutely, Coach, and you guys are currently 5-0 and in the Southern Conference, 12-0 and at home, 16-2 and overall, having won 16 consecutive games. And I know that when you look forward to tomorrow's matchup, you guys will be 
playing Mercer. Mercer's 8-10. and 10. That game will be on ESPN Plus at 5 o'clock. But it's one of those situations, Coach, to where when you win the regular season title in the Southern Conference a year ago, you're like, okay, that's a great stepping stone in the right direction. And, you know, these small conferences like the Sunbelt Conference or your conference, they're just one-bid teams, one league. one You, you win it, the tournament your conference tournament or you're not really going to get an opportunity to get in. And I know that has been a little motivation, not only for yourself, your assistant coaches, but your players on look guys, we have to finish the deal this year for sure. Yeah. Well, you know, all you can be doing is playing your best basketball in March. Like that's what you want to do that. You just got to get better every week. And people ask what my goals for the program were when I took the job is to get better every year. If you got better every year. You're going to be pretty good we've officially had the biggest turnaround in college basketball. Like our net ranking uh, years ago when I got there was like in the 330s, like right at 330. We're all the way up now to 75 or 74 or 76, right around there, which, which no one has made that, that jump. Now, as a program, how do we make the next jump? How do we keep being successful and have a put on a team put down the road where we make a jump into the top 25? Well, the same thing occurs to your team during the current season. Here we are now. We're good. But guess what? where we are now is not good enough to win to be where we need to be in March Mm -hmm. because that's two months away. We got to have improvement every week. Will our version of ourselves in this next game be better than it was in the last game and so forth and so on. And I think that the teams that have done that regardless of sport, they can improve every week. They're going to have a chance at the end of the year. You know, I'm never going to be as a tournament or, or bus season because you can't really look at the game that way. Basketball, there's a lot of variance in tournament basketball. We all know that. I mean, foul trouble, three-point shooting, different things. But what you can control is playing your best. And if you're playing your best and you're knocking on that door consistently, you're going to break through. But I'm also not against us having an opportunity to keep rising up in these ranks and, and have potential for a large bid if we ran the table and we kept, kept having this win streak, keeping it alive. Like, we control that, you know? Like, we can control if we end the season with – even if we lost in the tournament and we had three losses, but we won all the way through. And right now, we haven't lost a game since November 10th. That's, that means we're playing pretty dang good. We're getting better and better. So um, when you can control your own destiny, that's all you can really ask for. Bucky McMillan joining us here on the final drive. 16-game winning streak, the nation's longest. And, Coach, when you look at the success – in this state of Alabama and Auburn this year, the only two left undefeated teams in the Southeastern Conference, it's great for this state to where we know we're a football state without question, but when you can turn that page and see the success of your program and Bruce Pearl and Nate Oates and you look at Andy Kennedy and Richie Riley here at South Alabama, it's always great to see basketball really succeed and not necessarily get overlooked with the type of success that you're having because, Coach, at the beginning of the year, the hype machine that you created for the jump ball with the seven-foot, what, three, seven-foot-four center, the nation's player of the year, Zach Eady, taking on your, what was it, your point guard who jumped for you that day? That type yeah, of, it was Graziani, all five, seven of them. Loved it. Loved it. The hype <laughs> there. You prepared him for that jump ball, and, of course, Probably wasn't that successful, but at the same time, it was still fun to create that and play against the number one ranked team in the country with the reigning 
Mr. I, I would say Mr. Basketball, the reigning college basketball player of the year in Zach Eady. But that's how far your program has come, Coach. And, again, done a tremendous job everywhere you've been. Love watching your style of play, watching your pace of play. Love the, the genuine person that you are, Coach. And can't do anything but continue wish you success for the duration of your conference season. And Bucky Ball in Sanford. Alabama and Sanford University, it's definitely in full effect because now you're starting to reap what you've sown there and, and continued success and continued winning ways there at Sanford and your Bulldogs, Coach. Corey, I appreciate you, man. Always good talking to you. I look forward to seeing you at the high school Final Four every year as always. Absolutely. Bucky McMillan, head basketball coach of the Sanford Bulldogs, have won 16 consecutive, the nation's longest as they prepare to play tomorrow against Mercer, trying to continue the nation's longest winning streak. Coach, appreciate your time, and we'll talk to you again very soon. Talk soon. Later. Bucky McMillan joining us this evening here on the final drive. And look, if you can go from high school coaching and take your philosophy there to college and be successful, having the nation's longest winning streak is never an easy task. And the Bulldogs, if you get a chance to watch them, they're fun to play. But let me tell you this, folks. Remember the name Bucky McMillan and Bucky Ball because you won't see him there for long. A power five school is going to snatch him up and he's going to continue to put his stamp on the game of basketball. We'll be right back here on the final drive. 